0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys this morning. I am Barrett Bowden, lead pastor at Island Community Church, and I hope you've already got your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today, and I am so grateful to see everyone here this morning. Thank you for joining us, whether you're here in person or whether you're online. We are so grateful that you are with us today. We've got an exciting opportunity as we continue worship this morning to be in God's word together. And I hope uh, right now that you'll pray with me and let's beg God in our hearts to speak to us uh, so that we might know more of him and have the opportunity in our life uh, to experience him. Father, thank you so much for this day of worship. And Lord, I am praying right now, Holy Spirit, that you would allow your words to penetrate to the depth of our heart. Thank you so much for the opportunity to know you. God, life is found in knowing you and Jesus whom you sent. And God, I just thank you so much uh, for the good news of your gospel that right now at this very moment, though we are broken and sinful. Lord, that you and your love have done everything needed to make us right with you now and forever and your son Jesus our Savior. So, Lord, I pray with great hope and confidence in you. Thank you for the covering of your grace, and we pray, God, that you would bless as we seek you together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, If you got your Bible, like I said, the book of Hebrews this morning, I would love it if everybody would open. Kids, if you're at home, I would love it if you would ask your mom and dad to show you where in the world Hebrews is, is in, in your Bible. Everybody together this morning having the opportunity to be in Hebrews together. I don't know about you, but I have absolutely loved um, our series and the study of the book of Hebrews. Uh, we have been in it week after week after week, and we've had incredible joy and opportunity to get to know Jesus more. In fact, the book is all about jesus and uh if you haven't called on to that theme yet then let me tell you right now it's all about jesus all right and so we've been saying over and over i hope it's stuck eventually um that the book is about jesus over and over he wants us to know what's the theme of the series what have we called it jesus is better. He's better. Uh, Over and over, he's making comparisons and contrast. 13 different times in the book, he refers to Jesus being better. 14 different times, he refers to Jesus being perfect. In other words, there's, there's nothing lacking in him. The writer wants us to know that our hearts, our lives were made for relationship with Jesus. And the reality is, he is the only one who can truly fulfill you. He is the only one who can truly bring you lasting joy and security in renewed and restored relationship with God. And over and over, the writers were saying, look at Jesus. He's amazing. He's wonderful. Uh, make sure that you know him. He's everything. And he's unchanging. We've been talking about that week after week. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, he is the same yesterday, today. And forever. Well, today, if you've got something to take notes with, and I hope you do, I would ask you to get your notebooks out. And we're going to be moving on in our study of the book of Hebrews by looking at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verse 1 all the way through chapter 12, verse 2. And the topic of today's sermon is. In this section of a better life, and the topic of today's sermon is faith. We've been talking about the different sections of the book of Hebrews. The first two sections really deal with helping us to know who Jesus is. And the third section of Hebrews, which is the one we're in now, really helps us to know how it is that we can live in relationship with Jesus day by day. And that's exactly where the passage of today Uh, is where we find ourselves in this third section of The Better Life. So if you're writing notes, like I said, the topic of today's sermon, the title of it is A Better Life, namely, Faith. All right? There's a lot of us, as we go through life, I think a persistent question that probably nags us or that we wonder about, um, whether it's thinking in in terms of the, the whole scope of our whole life and what will it be like in the end when we face death, or whether it's just in the day-to-day, in the little moments of every day in our family or in our workplace or um, with our friendships, Um, a big question that nags us is this, what does it look like to live a life that is pleasing to God? Do You ever wonder that question? Do you ever just wonder, you know, like does my life please God? Um, What does it look like to live a life that truly, at all times and every way, is pleasing to God. I believe that's a question that all of us wrestle with. Not just in terms of what it looks like to be okay with God in the end, but day to day, what does it look like to really live a life that, that pleases Him? To, to have Him find constant delight in us. Well, today, we're going to be looking at the answer to this question. And the answer to this question really deals with the title of today's message The better life that God calls us to is a life of faith. So, what we're gonna be looking at today is how ultimately, and I'm talking about once we are saved, right? Once we're in relationship with Jesus, as, because that's the first step, right? You can't live a life pleasing to God if you have no relationship with Christ. We all need salvation. So, I'm assuming here, that we're building upon where we've been, right? That we have put our faith in Christ, we've turned from sin, we've received from him of his grace, we've been covered by his blood, we've been secured into his family, redeemed, right? Redeemed by the work of Christ on our behalf. But on a day-to-day basis as a Christian, for us to live a life that is truly pleasing to God every way, it looks like living a life of faith, okay? So what I wanna do this morning is gonna give you our core truth for the day. And then we're gonna talk through the passage that Bruce and Sarah just read. And thank you guys so much for reading that for us today. Our core truth for the day is this. Everybody have an opportunity, I hope, to write it down. Our core truth today is this. We are called to live by faith. A bold confidence and an absolute trust in God and his greater realities. Hope everybody will write this down. Kids, if you're listening at home, I hope you'll draw a picture that just helps you to remember what Pastor Baird is talking about this morning and what God's word says. What does it look like to live by faith? It means that we have a bold confidence and an absolute trust in God and in his greater realities. All right? Everybody have a chance to write that down? Can I hear you? Yes? All right, what I want to do is everybody, let's read it together. All right, here we go. We are called to live by faith, a bold confidence and absolute trust in God and his greater realities. Okay? So what I want to do this morning is walk through Hebrews chapter 11. All right? My desire as your pastor is not to just tell cute stories Uh, to not just talk about myself or what I think. My goal is to point you to God's word week after week because my job is really to expose to you what God's word says. So what I wanna do is show you basically how this passage is outlined and then we're gonna talk through it. I'm gonna teach through it as we're together. The whole point of Hebrews chapter 11 is about faith, okay? Uh, A lot of people would refer to this as the faith chapter, probably more than any other chapter in the Bible this particular chapter speaks of what? Faith. So if you get asked on the street randomly, which you're probably not, but if you ever get asked uh, by a friend in conversation, whether it's a lost friend or whether it's a believing friend, someone you're discipling, uh, where, where can I go to learn more about faith? What are you going to say? What's one chapter you can give them? Hebrews chapter 11. That's right. Well, Hebrews 11 is all about faith, I said. And there's really three ways that we could break it down. In the first section, really in the very first few verses, we have an explanation of faith. Then in the second section, we are given examples of faith in verses 3 through 40. That's the bulk of the passage. And then as the the chapter comes to a close and chapter 12 begins, now remember the writer of Hebrews didn't write those chapter numbers in the Bible. Shocker, right? We put those in there to help us organize the book and to reference it more easily. But the writer of Hebrews uh, was writing this as a single sermon, which gives me great encouragement because we know from the New Testament that sermons in the early church were about 50 minutes to an hour long. Praise the Lord. That's how long it takes to read it through. That's about how long a sermon was, so nobody complain. Thank you very much. I'm trying to be biblical. But the bulk of the chapter here is in, is in examples. But then it turns the corner to chapter 12. And the reason I'm grouping this in with chapter 11 is because I do believe that what we see out of all of the, uh, the explanation and the examples of faith is a practical encouragement for us toward this kind of faith. Okay? And that's what we see in the first two verses of chapter 12. So we have an explanation of faith. We have examples of faith. And we have encouragement toward faith. We're gonna start in this first section this morning, the explanation of faith. And what I wanna to do together is when I go to your Bible, everybody look at your Bible in verses 1 and 2, all right? If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, what we learn is this it says, Now faith, y'all read this with me. Now faith, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's read it one more time. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, all right? Now, if anybody has not memorized this verse, you've got to make a note to yourself, I need to memorize this verse, right? Circle this in some way. If you've never memorized this verse, I want everybody at ICC to, to really work on the opportunity to memorize this. Because in this one little verse, he gives us such a profound definition of faith, okay? There's a, it's really a two-part definition. We'll take it part by part. The first part is this. Now, faith is the what? Let's draw an arrow and underline the first part. The what? Assurance of things hoped for. So if we make a list, we go to define faith. We're gonna make a little list. Faith is number one. The assurance of things hoped for. Now, in the original language, this word assurance literally means like to build a foundation. Okay? So imagine that you're going to build a house, and the first thing that you're going to build is what? The foundation of that house. It literally is the idea of firmness, like concreteness. It's the idea of a complete guarantee. Okay? Now, faith is the foundation, it is the guarantee, it is the completeness, our confidence, uh, total resolute confidence of things hoped for. So what he's saying is, faith is an absolute trust. It is an absolute trust. Just as a foundation is for a house, we build everything else upon it. Faith is like that in our life. The foundation of our relationship with God is we absolutely trust him. We are totally confident in our God. We have no questions about him or his trustworthiness. We are firm in our trust in God. That's why I said it's an absolute, it's an absolute trust. It's a bold confidence and an absolute trust. That's in our core truth, all right? So the first part of faith, is an assurance of things hoped for. Now, if you go back to verse 1, we see that not only is it assurance of things hoped for, but what's the second part of the definition, everybody? Conviction of things, what? Of things not seen, okay? Conviction, so we make our list, we go back to our definition of faith, there's a two-part definition, the second part of the definition is it's a conviction, a conviction of things that are, are not seen. What we're talking about when we talk about this word in the original language, is conviction, it's an absolute conviction, persuasion and it's not just a a a, a kind of complacent thing or a, a just dull thing it's it the word is it's an active and a life thing it means we are constantly on an ongoing basis persuaded right and it says we're persuaded of things not seen now what we're talking about here is spiritual realities that's why in the core truth we've said uh a bold confidence and an absolute trust in the greater realities of God. Because we're talking about, number one, when we talk about things not seen, we're talking about just spiritual realities. But also we're talking about things in the future, promises that have been made that have not yet been fulfilled, that we know on an active, ongoing basis, we're totally persuaded that those things will one day be seen. They're not yet seen, but the But the whole point of this definition is that there is an absolute certainty that one day they will be seen, all right? So we have faith, an assurance of things hoped for, and a conviction of things not seen. Now, one of the things I I love about this definition, and I hope everybody here and everybody at home will have the opportunity to hear me say this. When we talk about living a life of faith, often I think sometimes when we encourage each other as Christians, we go, just have faith. Just have faith just have faith just have faith right well that's a good encouragement if you know what it means to have faith faith is not superstition faith is not just hoping in something but you're not really sure if it's true or not true that's like superstition that's not faith when we talk about faith we're not talking about for instance um, just having faith in faith itself Sometimes when we talk about just have faith, I think sometimes what, we, what we're almost saying is just just by having faith in faith itself, that that is what's needed. But it's not faith in faith itself. It's also not faith in ourselves. That is not what it means, right, to have faith. It's not faith directed at other people. When we talk about this definition of faith, what we're saying is, Faith has an object, and that object is, look here, God. Assurance of things hoped for. What is that, God? Confidence, conviction, total persuasion of things not seen. What is that? Who is that? God. So what we're talking about is our faith, the life of faith that God calls us to live, is a life Where literally in our hearts and our minds and our hopes, we are constantly being directed toward God. And we are sure of God. We are absolutely certain of him. He is our hope. He is our foundation. He is our joy. We absolutely trust him. We are confident in him. We are convinced and convicted of the things we don't see. But our faith is directed at God. Faith is only good as the object you're putting your faith in. Did y'all know that? Faith is only good as the object that you're putting your faith in. Faith in and of itself does nothing. Just like a car pedal, if I take it out of my car, right? A car pedal in and of itself literally does nothing. I can hold it in my hand. But when that car pedal is connected to, I don't even know how cars work, but when it's connected in the right way, So that when I push that thing, my engine goes. Man, oh man, is that car pedal effective. But the car pedal in and of itself is not effective. It's the engine that's effective. Are y'all tracking with me? Faith is like that. Faith is the car pedal. And the reality is, it's not faith in and of itself that has power. It is God who has power. And it is faith that connects us with God. And when we live our life with absolute trust and confidence in God, that is what it looks like to live a life of faith. Does that make sense? The other thing that you need to know by this basic definition, and I promise I'm gonna move on. I take this stool here and I'll show you guys something. Faith is also not just an intellectual acknowledgement of God. I can look at this chair and stand back and go, wow, That's a nice-looking stool. Look how it's made. Four legs, they look pretty sturdy, made out of wood. Got a nice little shiny metal thing there that gives me some greater confidence or something. Looks like it might could hold me up. That's a great chair, right? I could acknowledge that this chair looks like it's sure going to be great for sitting. But that is not true faith in this chair. True faith in this chair, yes, believes that this chair is good for sitting and could hold me up, but true faith in this chair looks like me actually going and yielding the total weight of my body onto this chair to where I actually trust. This is true trust, absolute trust that it will do what I believed that it would do before I sat in it, but it's the sitting in it that actually expresses true confidence in the chair. I read a story once about a guy who was uh, literally put a, a, a big wire over the Niagara Falls. And he started shouting out to the crowds, anybody think that I can, can walk over the falls? And of course, everybody around there is going, oh my goodness, we're about to see a good show here. This is amazing. And crowds started to gather and he says, anybody think I can walk over the falls blindfolded? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, do it. You know, everybody wants to see a show. He says, anybody think I can walk over these falls blindfolded and pushing a wheelbarrow in front of me? And the whole crowd goes, yeah, 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 let's do it. And among those who had raised their hands, he goes, all right, you come and get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) And suddenly every hand went down. (laughs) I ain't getting in. But the reality is there's a big difference. Acknowledging it from afar for someone else. Oh, yeah, you can do it. You could push a wheelbarrow across. And yet, the act of actually trusting that one with your whole life to do it. And The reality is of this definition in Hebrews 11.1. 1, the definition by its own, what God is saying to us, he's saying, true faith It's not just believing intellectually these things from afar, but it's actually yielding your whole life to trust God. You have so much confidence in who he is and what he's promised and what he can do that you choose to get in the wheelbarrow. You choose to trust. And that's when the life of faith really begins. And it's not just a one-time thing. We as Christians sometimes think that our relationship with God is just about the initial act of putting our whole trust in Christ for salvation and eternal life with God. But the reality is, what this definition teaches us is that it's an ongoing trust. It's a moment by moment, day by day, in each and every situation, we yield our whole hearts and lives with this kind of surrender because of our trust in God. Does that make sense? So, what I want to do is continue... Um, with the basic explanation, because not only does he stop there, he goes on to verse 2 and 3. And we're going to make a little list of some other qualities of faith that the writer of Hebrews gives us. In verse 2, he goes on and he says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. All right? So the first thing on our list is faith is commended by God. Faith is commended by God. In other words, you know, there are a lot of people who live by faith, and they are ostracized by the world. They're made fun of. They're, they're cast aside. They're persecuted at times. But the reality is, while people in the world might not understand what it looks like to, to live life with this kind of absolute trust in God, <laughs> to firm persuasion and conviction of the things that are not seen, God sees it and he commends it. Those who have lived by faith, verse two says, for by it, people of old received their commendation. Those who have lived in this way were commended by God. Secondly, we see in verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was made, that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of the things that are visible right? What was seen is not made out of things that are visible. And if you go to verse 6, everybody go to verse 6. Skip down. Verse 6, he says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So the second thing we're going to write down on our list of characteristics of faith, is not only, number one, that it's commended by God, but number two, it's pleasing to God. And this answers our question, does it not? What does it look like? to live a life that's pleasing to God? Well, verse six of Hebrews 11, if you really want an answer to that question, tells you so plainly, if you want to live a life as a believer in Christ that is constantly pleasing to God, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna live a life of faith. Day by day, moment by moment, in every decision, as you read God's word and you come across all of his promises, as we go through the unthinkable, as we face the excruciatingly painful, We continue to be people who trust in our God. It may not make sense. We may not see it. It may not make sense according to circumstance. We may not be able to see exactly what we're hoping for face to face with our own eyes. But yet we persist in absolute confidence in God. And it is this life, it is this life that truly is pleasing to God. Another place in the Bible says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, if you want to know what is displeasing to God, it's not trusting God. It's not believing who he is. It's not acting on what he has said. It's not hoping in what he has promised. So the reality is, to live a life of faith is pleasing to God. I I love the freedom that comes in this, all right? It means that, As long as I am living in such a way that my heart is Godward and that my hopes are Godward, there is great freedom. God finds great joy in me as I direct my heart and hopes toward him and I put my trust in him. That it brings God joy. Third, we see there in verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him. And the writer goes on and he says, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the third characteristic of faith that we're going to write down is not only is it commended by God, not only is faith pleasing to God, but third, God tells us that faith is rewarded by God. God responds to faith. If you look at the Gospels, I was thinking just week as I was praying for some people in my life who have been really sick lately, people who've been affected by COVID, people who've been going through different struggles. And as I intercede for you, the members of our church, I have the great joy of praying for you. It's one of my main jobs. And one of the things that God brought to my mind this week as I was praying was the story of the men who lowered their friend, the paralytic, into the very presence of Jesus. And what I love about that story, some of us remember it from the little kids. We go, oh, wow, they took off the roof and they lowered him through. That's crazy. And we get all excited about they're taking off the roof and what did their friend do? Did they repay all this stuff? But the whole, the whole point of the story is not about the roof, guys. The whole point of the story is that Jesus can do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we could ask or imagine, like it's affirmed in Ephesians 3. Jesus is an incredible miracle worker and healer but he works with great power when we, res- we go to him in faith. And one of the things I love about that story, it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he didn't say the man's faith, it's a plural, which means he's responding to the friend's faith who brought their man, their, the man, their friend. He's saying when, when Jesus saw their confidence in him, it was only confidence in him assurance that if they could get, just get their friend to Jesus, that Jesus would work with power. It was that confidence that they had that Jesus responded to. And it says when Jesus saw their faith, he began to speak and he began to work and ultimately he healed. I love that as you look at the nature of our God, you look at the ministry, the person of Jesus, what we know is that God responds to those who seek him, and believe that he will reward us when we do. Faith is a, an assurance that God works on behalf of those who trust him. And indeed he does. The Bible says it clearly. Go back to verse 6 for me. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. I think that most of us do, right? We, we believe he exists, but we've got to do something more than just believing this chair can hold me up. I've got to trust it. I've got to believe that he will, this chair will reward me when I sit in it. And the same is true with God. I've got to yield myself to him. And when we do, he will show himself faithful. He will show himself faithful. Amen? That is what it looks like to understand the nature of faith. All right, let's go back to our definition, and then we're going to move to the second section. Our definition, faith. Y'all say it with me. Number one is what? The assurance of things hoped for. And number two, the conviction of things not seen. Three qualities of faith that we see, characteristics of faith here from verses two and verse six. Number one, it is commended by God. Number two, it is pleasing to God. And number three, it is rewarded by God. So we've seen the basic definition and explanation of faith. That's why our core truth, by the way, if you go to it, says, we are called to live by faith, a bold confidence, and an absolute trust in God and his greater realities. If you can get this core truth, then you can get the basic explanation of verses 1, 2, and 6 of Hebrews 11. Now, let's move on to the second section, all right? In the second section, what we see is not only does the writer of Hebrews give us an explanation of faith, but he gives us examples of faith, okay? He gives us examples of faith. One of the things I love about this chapter, sometimes this section is referred to as the Hall of Faith, right? Some of you may have been to uh, Washington, D.C., and you go uh, into the Capitol Rotunda, and you can see the Hall of Statues. Uh, There are other places, even around town, where there's monuments to different people, and they're heroes in a way. They're celebrated in certain ways, and you can learn... From their life. That's the whole point of it. Well, in, in a similar way, the writer of Hebrews has constructed for us a, like a statue hall of people who have lived by faith. And he invites you into the rotunda and to go one by one and to look at the faith and to read the little plaque under the statue that you see, so to speak. And to really consider, wow, Abraham or wow, right? Abel or Wow. Sarah, these men and women of faith who have lived with absolute trust and confidence in God in their life and were thereby rewarded as they sought God. Okay, so if you go back to verse six of Hebrews eleven, we talked about this. What does it look like to please God? You got to you got to draw near, believing that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Well, every person in the hall of faith that He is gonna name our people who lived according to verse six. So in case you're like, oh, this is too heady, it's too conceptual still, I want more stories. Okay, what does it look like to do this practically in your lives? What does it look like in your life? He's gonna give you story after story after story to think about and to consider what does it really look like to draw near to God, believing that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We're gonna start here in verse three. And I want you to notice something. Um, Every single example starts with this little phrase, by faith. And then he connects it to a story. By faith, Abel. And he's going to do this over and over. So each time as we go through this, what I'm going to do is just circle the phrase by faith and then connect it to the person that's being described. So that over and over and over again, you can remember that all of this is part of one masterful teaching that God is giving to us. He's encouraging us to live a life of faith. And he's showing us what this looks like practically. So let's start with verse four. And we're gonna look through this. And I'm gonna try to, as I go, pull out some examples, uh, some, some things we can learn from these examples. But it's gonna be up to you this week and your conversations at lunch and in life group to really unpack this a little bit more and actually talk deeper about all the stories that are presented. In verse four, we read, By faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And in verse 5 we read, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. One of the first things that I wanna learn from the examples of faith is this, that we faith finds delight in God and delight in obedience. Faith finds delight in God and delight in obedience. One of the things that I love about the story of Abel is what we learn about Abel from Genesis is that Abel, You know, what made his sacrifice different than his brothers? It was that he brought the first of it to the Lord. He considered the very first portion of what he had to belong to the Lord. And he offered it by faith, we read. You know, it's easy (laughs) to want to keep the first portion for ourselves and offer the leftovers to the Lord. But true faith actually says, you know what? I believe that God can take care of me in full, so I will offer the first portion to the Lord, even though I may not know how I will deal with the rest, I will also offer the first portion to the Lord because I trust Him, because I delight in Him, because I recognize that from Him, all that I have has come. So by faith, Abel shows his delight in the Lord and also his obedience to the Lord by offering what he had in the first portion. And in doing that, he pleased the Lord. And even though his life was short because the anger of his brother sought revenge in murdering him, his life still speaks. Though he suffered greatly for his faith, his faith was still rewarded by God. Does that make sense? Enoch, in uh, that verse that we read in verse 5, Enoch was taken so that he should not see death. We see in Enoch this picture of a man who not only is exercising faith in order to get something from God. Sometimes I think when we think about faith like putting a coin in a candy machine. And that is not how faith works. Yes, we believe God. And yes, we seek God. Believing he rewards those who uh, seek him. But the reality is we seek God not primarily for his gifts. We seek God for God. The greatest gift that we get as we seek God in faith is God Himself. The whole end goal of our faith is more opportunity to enjoy more of God. There's one thing we seek after to be in the presence of the Lord. And what we see with Enoch is an example of faith such that his delight was not just in the gifts that God gives, but in the giver who gives. And Enoch was a man who delighted in God, and he showed himself to be a man who walked in fellowship, in intimate fellowship with the Lord. So, one of the things that you need to learn is to please God on a daily basis. It's not just trusting Him for the decisions you need to make or for provisions that you need to receive, it's actually just going to God and saying, God, I believe that you're enough. I, I just enjoy you. God, I believe that in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As a deer pants for the water, O oh God, I pant for you. My soul longs for you. Part of faith is just the simple act of saying, God, I enjoy you. And this is the picture that we have with Enoch. And Enoch was a man who didn't even die. God just took him. He so enjoyed God that God just took him. We have no record of anything but God just taking him to fulfill that enjoyment that he had in him. It's pretty cool. We go on in verse 7. And what we read, if you look at your Bibles, we read this. By faith, again, what do we see? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Second thing we can add to our list of those that we learned from our examples is faith involves confident action. Faith involves confident action. You know, I've given the example about the chair. I've given the example about the wheelbarrow. Those are quite silly. But here's a story about a guy who had to put his faith into action. With Noah, what we realize—I mean, what would it—what would it take, you guys, if God came to you <laughs> here in Memphis, Tennessee, and said, "Hey, I want you to start uh, building a huge cruise ship, all right?" And uh, it's going to start raining like crazy, and... I just want you to build this humongous boat. I'm going to give you the dimensions, and I'm going to have you put the animals in it, and all this stuff. I'm making the this, this story short. But the reality is, what an what a incredible um, word from God, but how unbelievable that might have seemed to him, and it certainly seemed unbelievable to those around him, because Noah got made fun of. He and his family were absolutely ostracized by their community. They were made fun of as he began to announce the vision of what God had given him, and he he, he began to tell them of what was coming, and yet that didn't stop him from trusting God. But it wasn't just enough to, to say, oh, I believe it's coming from afar. Okay, that's cool. I'll, maybe tomorrow I'll start on that. He actually had to get to work. And what we see is with Noah, step by step, day after day, week after week, month after month, he began to act on the things that God had promised. Faith involves confident action. When you read a promise in the Bible, it's just as if God is making that same promise to Noah. He's making that same promise to us. And it's not just enough for us to go, okay, that promise is there. Or maybe one day that will come to pass, intellectually agree with it or to dismiss it in some way. But we actually have to build our life upon that promise. We actually have to go out step by step, day by day, week by week, and actually live our life as if the promise was true because it is true. Faith involves confident action. It's interesting to me, I I think if you were to examine your own life, I think all of us would say, oh, yeah, I live by faith. But if you were to examine your own life, I would just challenge you. Just go and just, for instance, just take a single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Go through and read, circle in your Bible, the simple promises of Jesus and evaluate in your own life, are you acting in your life as if that promise was true? It's easy to say, yeah, I love by faith, but then we get face to face with these radical commands of Jesus, related to forgiving, related to not taking vengeance, related to giving, not storing up treasures here on earth, but giving to the kingdom, so that we could store up treasures in heaven, Uh, related to uh, how we treat our enemies. I mean, all of these very practical commands that we see in Scripture and the promise of God that accompanies them. When you begin to evaluate it, what I believe you'll begin to see is, wow, living by faith is something more than just knowing that Jesus said that, but I actually need to actually put this into action a little more in my life. And I ask you to evaluate right now. What promise of God do you think that you believe, but your life shows nothing that you actually believe it? And see the opportunity in that promise to grow. Because faith is more than just intellectual agreement. It's about building your life. It's about acting upon that which you believe to be true. Okay? We read on in verse 8. And we read, by faith, Abraham. We love Abraham. Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. We read in verse 9 and 10, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The third thing we can learn from our examples of faith, I believe, is this, that faith responds to God and his promises. Faith responds to God and his promises. It's a little similar to what we saw with Noah and confident action. But the reality is when we, when we find a promise of God, we always see faith, a true heart of faith responding to him. We know the promise that God made to Abraham. We think about it in Genesis chapter 12, verse one and two. But what we realize here is that as Abraham received the promise, he had to do something about it. And it says here that he, by faith, he obeyed. He responded to God when he was called to a place and he didn't know, he had no idea where he was going. But still you have this heart that's responding to God saying, God, I will go where you lead me. I will absolutely say yes to the call that you put on my life, to the direction that you're pulling me, I will respond. I believe your promise. I believe your promise. And I'm going to respond. You go on in verse 11 and 12. What you see is his wife, Sarah. By faith, Sarah received her herself. She received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised? Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. It's not a very nice thing to say, is it? About poor Abraham in his old age. He was about as good as dead. <laughs> but the reality is, the point is saying, think about Sarah. Think about Abram. Think about how long they had to wait from the time that God first made the promise they'd have a son, 25 years passed until they were literally great-grandmother, great-grandfather sitting in their retirement home everybody's looking at them wondering I wonder when it's going to be their time and yet it was at that point that they received what was promised from this one man Abraham and Sarah were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore you go up in the sky and you go I tell Caroline count the stars she's like, one, two, three, and then 500. I mean, it's like, how in the world can I even begin to actually keep track of how many stars are in the sky? Same thing with grains of sand. It's overwhelming. And yet, this is what faith brought to Abraham and to Sarah. So the next thing we learn about from our examples is uh, learn about faith is this. Faith believes that God can work in supernatural ways in the lives of ordinary people. Faith believes that God can work in supernatural ways in the lives of ordinary people. I believe that we're living in an age more than ever that we have skepticism of anything that we cannot imagine could just be humanly producible or possible. Especially in our culture today. And yet, God calls us to live in such a way that we're not thinking about just what I can do. For instance, let's just make it practical. Here in this COVID era, when I pray for people, when you pray for people, I believe God calls us to pray not just according to what men can do to end this pandemic, but what he could do to end the pandemic. As you're praying for people who are infected, I believe that God calls us not just to pray according to what medicine can do, although I don't discount medicine, but our primary belief is in the power of God. God is all-powerful. If God could speak in the nothingness and create everything that we know in the world, then at this moment, God with a single word can speak and literally do anything. When we pray, when we trust, when we respond to God, do we believe that God can do anything? Do we actually believe that he can do what is impossible to man God can make possible? Do we actually believe that? And do we live our life in such a way that we trust him for that, that we ask him for that, that we expect for him to work in such powerful ways. I know there have been many, many times in my life, yes, I've never been a great grandma and I've never been a great granddad and I've never asked at 90 years old for a baby, okay? So I don't know exactly what Sarah was facing. But can you think about in your life Times where literally you've had no other way except for God? Can you think in your own story about moments in life where literally you've had no other hope except for God? It is in these moments where God brings you to the end of all possibilities of anything else, including yourself, that we learn what real faith looks like. I believe God waited until Abram and Sarah were completely in despair of themselves. They knew it would no longer be anything that they could add to the equation. It would have to be only God, God and only God. And it's in that place when it was God and only God that he was able to breathe into them and show them exactly who he was and what he could. I think most of us have a story at one point in or another in our life where we've been so desperate and dependent, and we've seen God and only God do something we could never imagine happen except by him. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You got that in your mind? Now, the question is, how do we live like that every single day? How can those not just be the night before the big medical school exam, okay? <laughs> How can those be not just, you know, the night before that big decision or in the moment of crisis, how can that be a daily experience for us? Living with that kind of absolute confidence in God, desperation for him, and absolute trust that he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine. Right now in your life, what does it look like to do that? Faith believes God can work in extraordinarily supernatural ways in the lives of ordinary people. Again, the power of faith is not how much faith we have. The power of faith is where is our faith directed? Small faith, Jesus said, like a mustard seed can do great things because it's not the size of the faith, it's the size of your God. Amen? That's what the scripture is teaching. If you go on, oh my goodness, I gotta go. Do Y'all remember the joke about the time thing? It's about to get real. Fasten your seatbelts, we're kicking it up a notch. Verse 13. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city." The next thing we learn from our examples of faith is this, that faith anticipates future fulfillment with God, not immediate comforts. Faith anticipates a future fulfillment in the presence of God of who he is and all that he has promised. And faith is not about expecting immediate comforts. The whole point of those verses that we just read in 13 through 16 is saying all of these people, they died in faith. But if you look at verse 13 in your Bible, it says, when they died, they had not fully received the f- all that had been promised. And you might go, well, their faith is so in vain. Oh, how sad. Most to be pitied. You know, they, they, they were over there hoping and all these things. They never even got it. Wait, wait. Those are not sad people at all. Those are people to be celebrated because they knew what they were living for was not the here and now. It wasn't just the things that are here in this earth. They were living for a greater reality. We believe in something beyond today. We believe in something beyond even just this present moment in our earth. We believe in a greater reality of God, a greater reality of the things he's promised, and a greater reality of all that is to come in the new heavens and the new earth. And we set our eyes forward toward him in faith. Absolutely certain that he who promised is faithful. Faithful. And we see that all of these people of faith lived with their hearts and hopes toward the future fulfillment of what God has promised. They weren't living for the here and now. They were living for the greater realities of God and what is to come. Does that make sense? And we are too. Verse 17 and 18, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him, he's talking about Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And by faith, Isaac, this is the son, invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the, repro- the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. What we see here is, again, faith anticipates future fulfillment with god not immediate comforts with abraham how was it that he was able to literally go and offer his own son up this was the son of promise who he's waiting for that he's just had in his very old age how in the world would the promise ever be fulfilled if isaac was taken how could he do it he trusted in god That even if he took him, he could bring him back to life. That he could still fulfill his promise. We see that lineage of faith with his sons and their sons. We get to Moses and one of the things that's just so amazing is we see with Moses, he literally was willing to have nothing in Egypt. Think about Moses. He could have had all of the wealth and the riches that come with being a child of royalty. And yet we see with Moses that he would have rather had God and yet nothing materially in terms of his possessions than have everything materially and miss the opportunity to know God. See, faith is looking toward something to come. Faith is willing to suffer reproach. Faith is willing to endure sacrifice. Faith is willing To stand up to rulers like he did with the Passover, to do something so crazy as to say, you know, I believe God is gonna rescue us out of your hand, though you're the most powerful army in the world. Yet Moses still believed because he believed in God. He believed in what was to come. And he was willing in the moment to even go through yucky circumstance, still resolved to trust God because he knew that. He who promised was faithful. And in the end, we see the reward that they had. If you go on in the passage and you look at verse 29, it says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been given friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Here's the reality, friends. He gets to a point where he's going, this sermon is getting long. My goodness, I could go on and on and on. Let's open the pages of the Bible. Let's look person by person by person of those who please God in their life. And what we will see is people who lived by faith. Here's something else we can learn. Faith works in a variety of situations. You look at all these different people's lives, men and women, all kinds of different situations. People who had it all in terms of the world. People who had nothing in terms of the world. People who were up against the greatest of odds. People who were th- thrown into a lion's cave. People who were threatened to be sawn into. Over and over and over, we see all of these myriad of different situations. And yet, in each and every one, we see people who choose to live by faith. With absolute trust in God. Bold confidence in who he is and what he is. Faith by faith. And he says there at the end of verse, chapter 11 and verse 39 and 40, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The last thing we read is faith is always rewarded by God. Faith is always rewarded The reality was they believed, but the fullness of what God had promised did not come until Jesus Christ. They all died in faith. But how cool is it that we today get to see the reward of their faith? We get to to know the total fulfillment of all God has promised in Jesus Christ. We get to see the beauty, the fullness of picture of redemption that God has accomplished. So how much more should we, who now know Jesus, the Redeemer, who now see God's promise over all that time fulfilled in Christ who came to live, die, and rise again for us. How much more should we have absolute confidence to trust in God? We can see all of his promises and we can see each of them fulfilled And now we have promises ourselves, and I promise you this, that we will see a day that each of them are fulfilled. So the life that we are to live is a life of faith because faith is always rewarded by God. I want to close today by offering you an invitation. In light of the explanation that the writer of Hebrews gives in light of the examples that he provides, he immediately turns to you and to me. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. He doesn't just want us to understand the definition of faith. He doesn't just want us to see these other people's lives and how they live by faith and how it's rewarded, but he wants us, ourselves, to live by faith. He says in this very last section of the encouragement toward faith, therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since I've just given you all these examples, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. Here it is. The call to faith. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer closes and says, okay, if you know what it looks like to live a life pleasing to God, to live a life of absolute trust and confidence in him, if you've seen all of these people who have gone before you and the reward of their life of faith, you've seen how God who promises faithful, then I want to ask you a question are you trusting him? Do you have confidence in him? Do you live your life by faith? Right now at this moment, are you sure that he is faithful? Live your life looking to Jesus. Live your life looking at our Savior, who is the greatest fulfillment of all of God's promises. The scripture speaks that all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ. All of them are true. Look at Christ. He came. He lived for your righteousness. He died for your forgiveness. He rose again so that you might have opportunity to have new life. If God so loved you that he sent his only son, he did not spare his own son for you, then my goodness, right now, in this moment of your need, you can be sure that he who promised is faithful. You can continue to live your life looking to Jesus. Surrounded by such a great cloud, there's only one thing left to do, live by faith. The question I'd ask you this morning as we close is this. If I were to put up this and ask you to fill it in, what would it it say? If you got added to the hall of faith, what would the testimony of your life be? By faith, Mary Beth. By faith, Lauren. By faith, Miles. By faith, you put your name in. By faith, what? What is the story of your life? Right now at this moment, well, what is it that would be said of you, If at this moment you completely were to trust God, what story would be told? What narrative would be written? If right now, by faith, you lived with a bold confidence and an absolute trust in God. This is the encouragement of Hebrews 11. A life that pleases God is a life of faith. And my encouragement to you is look to Jesus as he who promised is faithful.